Well, good morning, Go Church family. If you're, if you're feeling good, make some noise this morning. Come on. Come on. Man, we are so excited that you are here today. We're getting ready to close out the final week in our Idol series. Come on. Have you enjoyed this series, man? It's been absolutely, absolutely incredible. And uh, we're getting ready to close out the final week. But before we do that, I want to take a quick moment. want to look in the cameras at the back of the room. want to say a big hello to everyone who's tuning in online today, our online campus. Man, we are so thankful for you. Grateful that you take the time to tune in and join us every single week. We found out over the last couple of weeks that Go Church, the broadcast each Sunday, are reaching about 40 different countries around the world. We've got people from 40 different countries tuning in every Sunday. That's absolutely incredible because the gospel of Jesus Christ is being spread around the world. And so we welcome you today. Also want to take a quick moment to welcome our Go Church Germantown family all the way up 702 miles away. Germantown, Maryland. Man, we love you guys so much. So thankful for you. Excited that you're going to be back meeting in person uh, very soon, but thankful that you're tuning in with us today. We love you so much. So come on, let's welcome everybody who's tuning in online. Welcome our Go Church family today in Maryland. Let them know how much you love them. And then last but not least, we always like to take just a quick moment to give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women and the first responders who give so much of their time and their life every single week to make sure that we are safe and to make sure that we are healthy. We love you so much. We appreciate your sacrifice. We honor you today, and we thank you for all that you do. So come on, go church. Let's honor the military and all of the first responders today. Well, hey, we've got a special treat for you today. It's as we're closing out this final, uh, this final week, this final message in our Idol series, we're doing what we call a Communicator Sunday. And today we have five different communicators that have five to seven minutes, and they're going to come and share in just a moment. They're going to talk about five different idols today, and maybe you're struggling with one of these, and they're going to share a word very quickly that's going to speak to our heart. But before we dive into that, I want to take a quick moment just to introduce each one of our speakers today. First up on the on the docket today, we've got Pastor David Waldrop. Pastor David is our good, go ahead, go ahead, love on him. Pastor David is our Germantown campus pastor, but he is familiar to you here because he grew up in this church. He's a son of this house, and, uh, and so we're thankful to have him, but he's leading our Germantown campus, doing a fantastic job up there. He and his beautiful wife, Esther, God has blessed them, anointed them. They're doing an incredible job. They came in this weekend because they wanted to be a part of what God is doing through this series, and so we're excited to have Pastor David. So come on, love, love on him one more time this morning. Then next up, we have Mr. Don Harris. He's no stranger to you either. You know Don. Many of you know Don as the saxophone player. Others of you know Don as the, the man with the great narrator voice or the radio voice. Maybe you've been a part of one of his small groups over the last several years. But what many of you may not realize is that Don is also the chairman of our board of trustees. And so, man, God has blessed him with great wisdom and great insight. He provides a lot of direction and guidance to the team here, to our pastor to our, our, our leadership team, and he has absolutely made us a better church, a better leadership team. We are doing great things around the world because of his leadership, and so we love him so much. So would you love on Don Harris this morning? 
Next up, we have Miss Arlene Morell. You know Miss Arlene. She is an absolute blessing and gift to this church. Uh, she is the director of our prayer ministry, and she is our care ministry assistant. So she's taking care of prayer and care every single week, making sure that you're being prayed over and making sure that needs are being met in the house and in our community. She does such a fantastic job of that. She's standing in the gap with the team, the prayer team, every single week, praying for our church, praying for our leadership, but she's also working alongside Pastor Austin here at the church to make sure that needs are being met, not only in the congregation, but that needs are being met in our community. And we love her so much. So come on, let, give it up for Miss Arlene today. And then we have a, a, a little bit newer face uh, coming and sharing today. This is Pastor Tyler Hicks. Pastor Tyler is our online campus pastor, and he just joined the team, I believe, in January of this year. So he's still pretty new here. We're still hazing him a little bit, kind of getting him uh, into, into the groove here. But Pastor Tyler is absolutely taking our online campus to the next level, doing a phenomenal job, making sure that all of our online platforms are clean, that they're moving forward, that everything flows together, and that people are hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're super thankful, super grateful to have him on the team. So come on, welcome Pastor Tyler today. And then last but not least, our very own South Metro Atlanta campus pastor, Pastor Ben Warwick. Come on, give it up for him today. Pastor Ben is such a gift to our church, doing providing such great leadership to the team here, to all of the, the volunteer teams and stuff. God has blessed him with wisdom. God has blessed him with great leadership ability and authority, and he's also a very gifted communicator. And so, man, we're super thankful uh, to have him sharing with us today. If Pastor Ben falls asleep or anything like that at any point today, it's because he and his beautiful wife, Emily, just gave birth to twin girls, Raleigh and Addison. They're absolutely beautiful. Come on, give it up for that today. So he's chasing around their, their two-year-old Judah, and they've also got their beautiful, uh, beautiful twin girls, and so we're just so thankful for that today. So one more time, can you give it up for all of our speakers today? We're so excited. Okay, are you ready for the word? Anybody ready? If you're ready for the word, say, oh, yeah. All right, come on. Would you give it up for Pastor David as he comes to share this morning? Yes, amen, amen. I have only got seven minutes, so that's my introduction. Ready, set, go. Pastor JC, thank you for the opportunity to speak. This part where I'm thanking you, Pastor JC, doesn't count towards my seven minutes, by the way, but it is an honor to get to stand on this pulpit. And have you guys just enjoyed this series about idols? I mean, has it been so helpful to you like it has been to me? What I love about it and what I love about Pastor JC is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but every single topic each week for the series has started with the letter S. That's how you know it's spiritual, when it always starts with the same letter. So uh, I will be talking for the next, I don't know how many minutes, about uh, the idol of science. And uh, I, I want to say this right now. The idol of science is not really an idol that a lot of believers, a lot of really strong believers struggle with. And so most of what I'm going to say today is actually not for the believers in the room. The only thing I want to tell all of the strong believers that say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm all in with faith. The only thing I want to tell you is this. This is important for you to know. God is not against science, okay? You need to know that. Like, God is not against science, and here's why. Because he created it, 
He is, he is the author of science. He made a solar system. He made biology and chemistry and physics. He is not against science. And so I want you to understand that this, it is a false dichotomy if you put God versus science. That is not biblical at all. He created the cosmos. So can we just all believers, this is the last thing I'll say to you, then I'm going to move on to my next thing here. But can we all just say amen to this, that we need to stop making it seem like people have to renounce science in order to become a Christian? Can we please remove that stumbling block? Because there are a lot of people that would come to the faith if we would stop fighting an unnecessary war against science. Okay, so I need to have said that. That felt good, Pastor Ben. That felt really good to get that off my chest. Okay, so now, if for all the seasoned believers, you can kind of tune out, check Instagram for the next few minutes, because I want to talk to some people that might be in the room or watching online that you are kind of struggling with faith, or maybe you're really, you're pretty far removed from faith, or maybe your parents don't know this, but you went to college, and you're kind of, you're teetering on the brink of leaving your faith, or at least the faith you grew up with. I want to talk to you. I dedicate these next few minutes to you. Uh, here's, here's what I know about you. You're probably not a complete atheist right now, or you wouldn't be watching, or you, you wouldn't be here if you were just completely anti-Christianity, anti-God, anti-faith. Chances are you're just, you've got questions, and you're and in your mind, and maybe no one knows, but you're, you're wondering things. I just want to tell you that if that's where you are, if you would consider yourself agnostic, and you're moving away from faith, I just want to tell you what you're moving closer to if you're moving towards science being your God, science being your, your God. This is where I want to talk to you about, and I'm going to actually quote an atheist here. There's a book written in 2011, 2012 called Mortality by a man named Charles Hitchens, and he is one of the prominent atheists of the, the postmodern, post-Christian movement, and he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, and he was, he was dying. He was on his deathbed, and uh, on the last few days of his life, his doctors really started saying, like, hey, your, your body is starting to fail you, and you need to feed your body this, and your body's responding to treatments this way, and this is a direct quote from his book, and this is what he said, stop saying that I have a body. I don't have a body. I am a body. And I want you to let that sink in for just a second. Because when you start to move closer to, to atheism, you start embracing this idea that if atheism is true, if science is all there is, then he is absolutely right. You and I would be nothing more than a body. And that's all we are. All you and I are is, is biology and, chemi and chemistry that is ruled by physics. And that's it. So here's what that means. Here's the implications by that. Your mind or your identity is a lie. It, it does not exist. Your consciousness does not exist. You are chemistry with, with chemical just waves going through your brain, and that's all it is. There is no sense of self if atheism is true, if science is all there is. Free will does not exist because you are not a person. You are a collection of molecules, and anything you decide to do wasn't because you chose to do it. It's because chemicals made you do it. So you don't actually have free will. Another thing that would be a lie is value, okay? There is no such thing as value of life, of items. Value is not a thing. It's only ascribed. It's a construct. 
And I wish I could, man, I, can I have like some of y'all's minutes here? It's like, no, I'm just kidding. I wish I could have more time to flesh that out. And if you want, just send me an email, dwaldrop at mygochurch.com. I'll talk to you on the phone if you struggle with this. Another thing that doesn't exist is morality. Morality and justice would be subjective. And it's all in your head. It's a construct. And it gets to be a really dangerous place. And so here's what I want you to know. If you're struggling with your faith right now, and if science is becoming your God, you need to admit this. Come on, be, be real with yourself for a second. You don't want that to be true. You, you don't. That's the reason you're on the fence right now is because you don't believe those things. You don't believe that you're just a body, a collection of molecules. You feel, be honest, come on, you feel like you have an identity. You feel like you have a purpose. And my response to you is this. Why do you think you long for purpose? Why do you think that you long for identity? Quick story. I've only got one minute, so let me tell you this story. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis, who wrote Chronicles of Narnia, were actually really good friends. And uh, J.R.R. Tolkien actually led C.S. Lewis to become a Christian. He led him to the Christian faith and they were having a conversation about just, you know, fictional writing and myths and fairy tales. And basically, Tolkien had Lewis investigate why did he want great happy endings? Why did he long for good to always conquer evil in all of their writings? And then C.S. Lewis, upon contemplating that, he actually went on to be a powerful voice in Christianity and theology. And, and I want all the skeptics in the room, I want you to consider this quote from C.S. Lewis' book, mere Christianity after he became a Christian. This is so important. I want you to hear this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Okay, let me put it to you like this. The reason you get hungry is because food exists. The reason you get lonely is because other people exist. And the reason that you crave purpose and identity and meaning and fulfillment is because God exists. Not spirituality. Come on, you can give God praise. Not spirituality. Well, I'm spiritual. No, come on. God exists. A personal, relational, creator God who made you and died for you and wants a relationship for you. And whether you know it or not, he wired you to have a relationship with him. He wired you to desire a relationship with him. So don't leave the faith just yet. You need to investigate this because if there is more than just science out there, you should be pretty certain about what it is because if Jesus' claims are true, the magnitude of what's at stake, eternity, is too important to just sit on the fence. Thank you so much. One minute over. I'm one minute over, Don. Hallelujah. It's good to see everybody this morning, and seven minutes goes by very quickly. Pastor Dave, thank you. Powerful, powerful. And I want to say a quick thank you to our senior pastor, J.C. Worley. Uh, this pulpit for the entire 20 years that we've been here has been sacred ground and very carefully guarded. So my being entrusted with these few minutes is an honor, and I just want to say thank you. And with that, I'm going to jump right in because the time does go by quickly. For those of you who are skeptics, you used that word a little bit ago, that uh, 
think that this topic, and mine all starts with an S, it's the stomach as an idol. If you think that's not possible, let's just jump right in because I don't want to lose you. Just in case, uh, you might be this day, this very day, you might have to say the three-word phrase that's one of the most difficult in our culture. You know what it is? I was wrong. Philippians 3, 18, 19 says, for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. There's your proof. There's your proof. The stomach can't be an idol. Now don't go judging your neighbor. I see elbows kind of moving and people looking sideways like this, even online. Uh, don't go judging because here's what, watch this. This is the teaching of Paul. And scripture, the little bit that it tells us about his physical attributes says that he was portly. We come in all shapes, sizes, heights, colors. So you can't judge by what somebody looks like that their stomach might be their idol. But let's go, and, uh, go a little bit further. The real issue is where we stand in regard to obeying God's instructions with regard to what it is and how we look at eating. I, I put it this way. We have a uniform that we wear as God's people. Second Chronicles 7.14. If God says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Health is all about how are you wearing the uniform. Food and spirituality is not a common public uh, uh, pulpit topic, but it doesn't mean it's not important. I'd like to use this analogy. Most of us have had, have had a new place to live, a new home. Uh, we have a housewarming or whatever, or we have guests over for the first time, right? And one of the things you want to do is make sure the place is all spiff and you give a tour of your home. The one place and the one door that you hope does not open is the one where the furnace is because it's just not attractive. There's nothing pretty about it, but it's extremely important to the health of that home, the comfort of it. Make sense? It has two basic needs. It needs fuel and it needs a filter. Pretty simple, pretty inexpensive, relatively easy to do, but if you don't take care of those things, over time what you're gonna see is the system doesn't run as well, okay? It doesn't run as well and it's eventually gonna break down. Well, our bodies have a furnace. It's our stomach, the belly. And God gave us filters and fuel. He gave us an appendix, a liver, pancreas, that takes care of things that get in unintentionally into the body. Unintentionally into the body. And he defined what food is and what's not food. He did that in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. That's a subject for another day. What I'm talking about now is the stomach being the idol. And we've got an example. First sin ever committed in the Bible 
And if we want to wonder if there are consequences of doing what you want to do when it comes to eating what you eat, the very first sin ever recorded involved eating something. We all know that, right? That piece of fruit that was so beautiful became the apple of Eve's eye. And when Adam took the first bite in that instant, it assured death in humankind. And when something has that kind of power over us to where we know that it's against the will of God, but we just got to have it and we do it anyway, we have just satisfied the core elements of idolatry. Gluttony. There are two, two scriptures I'll run by real quick. Proverbs 13, 25. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. But the stomach of the wicked is in need. In other words, can't be satisfied. Proverbs 23, 2. When you're invited as the guest of a ruler and you sit down to the meal, the food is delicious, it's delectable, it's all over the place. But it goes on to say, cut your own throat if you're given the gluttony. Pretty strong. Let me land this drone because the time goes by quickly. We all have our favorite foods, our gotta haves. And the problem comes in only when we determine what distinguishes it as a problem. Uh, it comes in to two things. What is it? Because remember I told you God defines our food. And why is it so important? Why it does it, is it such a draw to us? So here's the challenge. Here's something that's become a tradition at, at this church, and I love it. At the end of a, of a talk, we're given something to think about. Here's an exercise for you. This is one of those fill-in-the-blank things. I just have to have my blank because blank. And if you're honest with yourself, and once you complete that phrase, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, you might be heading over into or already reached into idolatry of the stomach. Amen. So what will it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul. I'm talking about the idol of success. How can success be an idol? Easy. When we worship anything more than we worship God, when we give glory to anything more than we do God, it's an idol. And I'll tell you this from experience. The idol of success can take you to places you never want to go. And it can keep you there longer than you really want to stay. I know for a fact that this is true. I had a great ambition. It started with people pumping me up because I was in a little church. And it was only two of us that had a college degree. And God gifted me with a lot of talents. 
And so I used those talents in this little church and people were saying things like, oh, you're so good. Oh, you can do that. You're so talented. Let me tell you something. When someone tells you how good you are, when someone starts to give you a whole bunch of accolades and start heaping all kinds of glory on you, don't believe it. Don't believe it. You know why? It's not about you. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. So, I was in this little church and I got all puffed up and thought I was all of that and a bag of potato chips and a candy bar and a Coke. But guess what? God saw me and he shook his head and he said, my child, you're headed for a fall. God is not against success. He said he would lead me along the best pathway for my life. So he wants us to be successful, but he wants us to do it his way. The other thing with success is that pride creeps in. Pride is the root because you think you all are that, and you're not. God is the one who puts one up and sits one down, not man. You see, we begin to think that it is man that has the key to our future, that man has the key to our success. But the only one that has a key is Jesus Christ. And if he doesn't elevate you, you don't need to be elevated. <laughs> Amen. Praise be to God. You see, God wants us to stay humble because he can't use a prideful person. Well, I went on to be very prideful. I started striving to be really good. I wanted to have a private practice. I wanted to have staff. I wanted to, to run with the big dogs in my field. And so I strive for that. Somewhere along the line, I left God behind. I left God behind. And so you know what happened? I was on my way to destruction because pride comes before destruction. Not just simply a fall, but destruction. By the time it was all over, I had entered into a relationship with a lady that promised me all of this. She promised to take me and train me and have the kind of practice that she had. You see, she had a street named after her. She had a whole practice with lots of staff and it was what I wanted and I wanted her to show me how to do it and she said sure come along the only thing I didn't know was God wasn't with me and so when the enemy came I couldn't see him I could not see him and before I knew it I was hooked up with the devil and before I knew it, 
I was standing in the face of a judge. Lost my job. Lost my everything. Not everything. But let me tell you, it's not the end. <laughs> because God loves us. And he knows that we will make mistakes. But if we will turn around, like the song says, take me back to the place where I once was strong with you. I ran so fast to God, I ran out of my shoes. I let it all go. I let it all go. I realized that I am not all of that and a bag of potato chips and a candy bar and a Coca-Cola too. I realized that I am nothing without him. And I realized that I can do nothing without him. God wants us to be successful, but we have to do it his way. Man, how am I supposed to follow that? I, uh, I get to talk about the idol. It starts with an S because our uh, esteemed pastor, who I love, JC, has told us everything has to start with an S. Mine is self. And if uh, you've ever taken any time to get to know me, or I should say if you've ever had the, the privilege of getting to know me, you know that no one loves me more than me, except for maybe, maybe Pastor JC, if you've ever had the privilege of getting to meet him, and now that really is a privilege, he's everybody he meets biggest fan, and I love that about him, and I want to thank him for giving me the opportunity to come up here today. I, uh, I'm going to read a passage from Scripture to you. Before I do, um, it's going to start with something that says, in the last days. And um, as a 26-year-old, and I, I went into seminary, and I, you know, I read about church history, I started to realize this book that we're reading, the Bible, has been read by Christians for hundreds of generations. And all of them probably thought, that sounds like it's talking about us. Now, I'm going to read this one to you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to hang your hat on this truth. This is about us, and you'll see why. Starting in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, um, this is Paul writing to his friend Timothy. He said, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Would you just raise your hand if you'd say, these are times of difficulty that we live in. These are difficult times we live in. Now, what it says next is where it starts to get, you know, that's definitely about us. Everybody who reads this could say these are difficult times, no matter what point in history they live in. Something hard's happening all the time. That's life. But what it says next is something I think we need to consider. Would you say this out loud? I need a heart check. I need a heart check. Would you look at somebody beside you? Would you look at somebody beside you and just say, you need a heart check. You need a heart check. This has been my prayer in this series, and it's happened over and over and over. I'm so thankful for these guys, but man, with Don coming up here with his deep and, and convicting voice telling me I need to watch what I eat, I got to change my lunch plans last week and this week. He says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for or because people will be lovers of self. That's the reason. Now, sociologists and historians agree for the first time ever that this is absolutely, without any doubt, the most narcissistic generation that has ever existed. And I'm not talking about generation in the sense of me. I'm talking about a generation in the sense of all the people all around the world, the way our culture is spread everywhere. It is the most narcissistic generation that's ever existed. If that pushes you the wrong way, if that rubs you wrong, consider this 20 years ago, if you can remember that long. I can't because I'm very young and full of life. 
But if you can remember 20 years ago, they would have never believed that there would come a point in time 20 years later where every person in the world would have their own website. And at the top of that website would be their name. And on that website, they'd post pictures of themselves and the things that they like. And they'd post updates on their website daily, multiple times a day. And they'd talk about how they feel and what's on their mind. And eventually they'd start talking about their opinions as if they were the gospel. And they'd call those websites social media. And coming from someone who made a living at a point off of social media marketing, I can tell you it is easy, easy to capitalize on people's love of themselves on social media. So he says in the last days there'll come times of trouble, difficulty. It'll be because of people's love of themselves. And he goes on and he lists this long list of other qualities that will characterize a generation. Some of them are, uh, I don't have time to go through all of them. I'm going to read them to you. And as you read them, consider them through this filter. The first one he said is love of self. And I think that's because it's the open window through which all these other qualities come through. And most of these qualities are something that we've talked about in this series. The first one is actually the love of money. He says they'll love, them, they'll, they'll love themselves, and that's going to cause times of difficulty. The next thing he says is they'll be lovers of money. Why do we love money? We talked about it last week. Why do we hoard things? Why do we keep? Why do we work so hard to just take care of ourselves and maybe even our family? But it comes down to us. Why do we do that? It's because we're selfish. We want to take care of us. That's why we love money. It's not about the money. It's about us and taking care of us and making sure we're okay. They'll be lovers of money. He goes on. He says they'll be proud and they'll be arrogant. Now, this is one of those things, the lens we kind of see through in our culture, especially now as, as divisive and divided as everything is becoming, when you look at the way people are in politics, you look at the pride that our leaders in our communities, in our nation, the way we talk about ourselves and our political party versus their political party, it's not even about what we do, it's about how much better we are than them. You talk about the pride of a generation. Why? Because we love ourselves and we think more of ourselves or we elevate our ideals above even those of God and especially those of other people. I don't have a lot of time. He goes on, he says, they'll be abusive. You want to talk about the way we talk about people who don't agree with us now? Specifically, I talked about it before, but on social media, you want to search your heart. You want to know what's going on in there. You want to check your heart. Look at the things that you like on social media that have to do with other people instead of yourself. You talk about the abusive language that we use without ever even thinking about it. The real people on the other side of those screens. Also, he goes on to say they'll be ungrateful, unappeasable, and they'll be disobedient to their parents. And some uh, parents in the room are looking at their kids and they're saying, check your heart, kid. Check your heart. It says they'll be heartless. On the news today, y'all really are looking at each other like, check your heart. Parents are like, no, you check your heart over there. He says they'll be heartless. Why? Because lovers of self, but you look at the news today, there's no good news. I don't care which station you watch, they tell the same stories with negative perspectives from both sides. There's no good news. There's another fire. There's another tragedy. There's something horrible happening always. There's no good news. And it's made us become desensitized to what's going on in the world. We see those horrible stories. We say, well, that's bad, but i got to come over here and take care of me. We love ourselves. We love ourselves. He goes on. There's so many more. They'll be slanderous. You look at the way we talk about each other. They won't have self-control. You look how quickly we talk about each other. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I don't have time to stay there, but do you, do you hear what I'm saying? That's how it defines this generation of the, the last days. But listen to this. It says they'll have the appearance of godliness. They'll have the appearance of godliness. Now, that's the scary thing because you read these qualities. You're like, those are bad people. Those aren't good people. But it says those people will have the appearance on the outside of godliness. 
So while they're lovers of self and while they've put on themselves, they've elevated themselves above all other people, even their God, they'll still appear godly. I hope that frightens you. It says avoid such people. Avoid such people. God search my heart. He goes on in verse 9, and I'll end with this. He says they will not get far. He actually says don't worry, though, because those people will not get far because their folly will be clear for all to see. Maybe they work their way up the social ladder in their community or even they become a CEO of some great organization, but their folly will be clear for all to see and ultimately their love of themselves will be their demise. So let's let this be our prayer. This is my prayer for you. God, search our hearts. We say that out loud, search my heart. Search my heart. God, would you help us to see and put on the meekness of God with humility and so take on the power of God that we would never deny the power, but we would put it on with meekness and humility. Thank you. Okay, okay, okay. Man, I want to say thank you to our incredible lead pastors, Jason and Kimberly Worley, for the privilege to be up here. Man, I'm ready to go. If you're ready, let's say, let's go. Come on. I got the idol of sports and school, man. This one's kind of sensitive, I think, for a lot of people. And as a parent of young children, I worry the monster I will become. Because if you know one thing about me, I'm competitive and I like to win. So this is going to be a problem. But I hear people all the time talk about their crazy schedules, whether that's their work schedule or their kids' schedule. You know, we almost need, everybody needs a nanny to help take their other kids to their other sports schedules. And we have dance and everything going on. I believe that our culture has put this unhealthy pressure on both parents and children for our kids to be good at everything, not just be good at everything, but participate in everything, not miss a thing. They've got to be at every little thing going on. They play spring ball, fall ball, and every ball in between. Like they, I, One of the hardest things as a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for eight years, was right about the time the fall semester ended and the spring semester ended, and there was all of these recitals, right, and chorus concerts. You've never, you've never sat through a, a really harsh, harsh time in your life till you've sat through like five recitals in a week. Emily, my wife's here. We would sit there, and everyone's like five hours long. You're dying. If you're like me, I don't like plays very much, so it was hard. But I watch parents and I watch kids be so overwhelmed by the pressure that's on them to be really good at every little thing. And they can't just focus on one thing. They have to focus on a 100 things. And one of the things I think this series on idols has taught us is that there are some unhealthy imbalances in our life. There's some corrections that need to be made. And I'm thinking about sports and school. And I go back to Proverbs 22.6 where train up a child on the way they should go. And when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. And I'm wondering what's being trained. I'm wondering what's being taught, what's being told. So when I look at culture and I look at the things going on in our world, I really see two big things happening in families. The first one is the next generation is watching what we deem important. They're watching what we deem important. Now, I'm not saying don't let your kids play sports or do activities. I played sports all through high school. Judah uh, is going to play sports if he wants to, our girls, whatever they want to do. I played sports, and even one year in ninth grade, I joined the chorus group, and I sang. And unfortunately, I did not get an invite in my 10th grade year to join that same chorus team. But you know what? It ain't stopped my praise. I still sing in the hallway. Come on. But... I've been there. I think it's perfectly fine. I think sports and, and those kind of group activities teach our kids something. But hear me, there is nothing more life-changing 
than for your children to experience an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Like that has to be our priority as parents. The greatest tragedy that could ever happen to your child is that their name would be recorded in every Guinness World Record and every championship banner from here to the time that they die, but fail to be recorded in a book in heaven. That would be the greatest tragedy for you to watch your kids cheer on them over and over and over again, then to get to heaven and them not be there. I know that that's tough, but that is reality. Somewhere along the line, we honor gifting a lot more than we honor relationship, but gifting never trumped relationship. The same God who gives you the gifts and the talents and gives your kids the ability to hit that ball 900 million miles, that same God demands that a relationship be a priority. The God who gives us the gifts is also the God who says, you need to spend time with me in a relationship with me, one that longs with us. And there's no expectation. God is to be first. That's it. Why? Because God wants us to know before your child and before we are ever a CEO and a quarterback and lead chair that we are children of God first. That we have a soul like David talked about. And our soul matters more than anything we could ever do. I'm worried if we polled our sons and daughters today and we said, what are the top three things your parents really want for you right now? I wonder how many of them would be like a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would they say, I want to do really good in school or... My dad wants me to work on my pitching game or wants to make sure that I stay up late and study extra and get all the extra credit that I can. You know, the second thing I notice when I look at kids is that the identity of our children is at stake. Do you know that? I'm worried about raising a generation that's so wrapped up. Their identity is so wrapped up in performance that instead of being wrapped up in what God wants for them, like they've got to be, 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 and do, 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 and go, go, go. And so when we say you need to be still and know that God is God, they don't know how to be still. They don't know how to rest in the arms of a Savior who loves them, who loves them more than you and I could love them, and that's hard to believe. That they are his sons and they are his daughters, and that he has a plan, and long before they ever got a scholarship and long before they ever got the accolades, God planned them in their mother's womb and said, that is my son, that is my daughter, and I'm going to send my only son to die for them because I believe that they have value. I long to be with them in heaven. This quote struck me this morning, and I read it. Are we raising up people who want to make an impression or are we raising up people who want to make an impact? Man, are you raising children who are going to wow every sports stat from here to kingdom come or are you raising up a a generation of children who are going to change the world with the love of Jesus Christ the power that goes with that in a world that celebrates talent over integrity let's build men and women who are generous and joyful and kind and loving and intelligent and gracious let's build children who are righteous and who at the end of the day will stand before their maker and he will say well done thou good and faithful servant and they will join you and I in the ranks of heaven praising God for eternity what greater gift can that be so when you're faced with the choice to bring your kid on a midweek gathering and send them on that youth group trip or go on the travel ball trip or so on and so forth they're watching what you deem important they're watching to see What you feel like matters most for their future. There's nothing that matters more for their future than what matters for eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. How about let's pray right now.
Heavenly Father, Lord, right in this room, the word has been preached in all different avenues today, but Lord, I just pray that you would just begin to release power and courage in those of us that have to make a difficult decision today, God, that maybe have to change the way we've been living and change the way we've been leading and change the way that we've been doing what we're doing. Lord, give us the strength and the power and the purpose to do those things. God, give us the courage to accept the fact that maybe we need a heart check, that maybe pride needs to be removed and things need to be released. And Lord, let us build men and women and let us be men and women of great godly character who love the Lord with all their heart and exemplify the love of Jesus in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.